The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Meet a legally blind professional actress and learn how she landed a major role in an episode of a popular television series. Welcome to ACB Reports for February 2019. We'll have our story in a moment, but first, students who are legally blind have an opportunity to earn a scholarship from the American Council of the Blind. To qualify, a student must be legally blind in both eyes, maintain a 3.0 grade point average, and be involved in their school and local community. Scholarships are available for entering freshmen, undergraduate or graduate students, as well as for students who are attending a technical college. As a scholarship recipient, you will experience firsthand the conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. There, you will meet other students who share similar life experiences, create lasting friendships, and network with other students and individuals who are blind and visually impaired. For more information and to complete the online scholarship application form, go to acb.org slash 2019-scholarship. If you have questions about the application process, phone 800-866-3242 between the hours of 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. Central Time. The completed scholarship application must be submitted no later than 11.59 p.m. Central Time on February 15th. California, Florida, Iowa, Texas, guide dog users, students, IT professionals, government employees. The American Council of the Blind has members in all 50 states and is actively engaged in a wide variety of activities. We advocate for the education, employment, and social inclusion of all blind and visually impaired Americans. We publish a monthly magazine. We hold an annual conference and convention and operate a multi-channel internet radio station. Check us out at acb.org. Together, we can do anything. Marilee Talkington is a professional actress who is also legally blind. During the 2018 conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind, she explained how she chose acting as a career and how she landed a major role in an episode of the CBS television series NCIS. She was introduced by ACB Executive Director Eric Bridges. How many of you have watched the TV series NCIS? It is a long-running show. It's been on, I believe, 16 seasons. And it has a very unique distinction of being audio-described for all of those seasons. As many of you are probably aware, the requirements to audio-describe... Uh, came in in 2012, so in effect there were eight or nine seasons ahead of that that they did voluntarily. CBS did with WGBH. Why am I raising this? Well, in February of this year, we were contacted by the casting director of NCIS. They were looking to audition blind actresses for a role in an episode that they had created that had a blind character. 
blind character named Annie. And we uh, had a couple of really good discussions with the casting director. And then uh, they put us in touch with the episode writer. And I wound up chatting with the episode writer for the better part of, uh, gosh, two or three hours over the period of a week. Uh, He was very concerned that the portrayal of this character be accurate, that it be done in a way that would reflect how blind people actually live their lives, you know, how, how we maneuver through the world. And uh, it, was, it was a f- fantastic set of discussions. What wound up happening was uh, they hired a blind actress to play the blind character. And the episode... Uh, aired on April 17th. It's called Sight Unseen. So if you haven't watched it yet, go. Go check it out. But I am, I'm so pleased to be able to uh, introduce our guest. Through the, the writer, we were introduced to Mary Lee Talkington, the actress that played the role of Annie. And through uh, discussions, uh, she accepted our invitation to be here this morning. We are so grateful that, she, that she's come. This is a holiday week. A lot of folks go on vacation, and she and her husband uh, have chosen to, to be with us. I'm so appreciative and pleased to introduce Mary Lee Talkington. I love that I got invited to be here. I am so honored and stoked to be in a room full of such deeply passionate, intelligent, fierce humans. So Eric wanted me to talk about NCIS, and I'm going to talk about NCIS. But first, I want to set an intention And that intention is, for the next 20 minutes, I want to set an intention for myself and for everyone here of transformation. And the reason I'm setting that, I just decided this morning that I wanted to set that because last night, after NCIS aired, there was a QA. and a And somebody asked me, so do you face any obstacles? And I said, "How, how long do you have? And I realized when somebody asks me that, I can go down the obstacle rabbit hole very, very quickly. Because there are so many. There are so many in the business that I've chosen to be in. There are so many in the world we live in. But if I just stand here and talk about all the obstacles, then how boring is that? So... What I do want to do is give some context, because the obstacles are real, but I'm more interested in how those challenges turned into opportunities. But I do want to give one, one statistic that I'm not sure a lot of you know. Um, in the entertainment industry, persons with disabilities is the most marginalized, underrepresented group across the board. Yes, of course. But um, in terms of marginalized groups, 
The one group above us is the Latino population. Only 5% of characters on television are Latino. And then it goes up from there, and white males being, of course, the top. Our numbers are nine people in 10,000. So our gap of representation is enormous. So I want to talk about the art here, but I'm also, you'll see that like being an advocate, I, I have to. There's no choice. Every room I walk into, I must advocate. I must. It is my responsibility because those numbers have to change. They have to. Little background. Okay, just so you know, a little context. My vision. I was born with rod cone dystrophy, uh, which is kind of similar to cone rod dystrophy. It lives in that family. Um, I have no central vision. I was born with a big blind spot. Uh, I do have peripheral vision. That peripheral vision has been decreasing over time. Um, I'm light blind. I'm getting more light blind as I get older. So light actually uh, not only, you know, causes more vision loss, it's painful, which is an interesting thing because I've been a stage actor for almost 20 years, and so I'm up on stage with 40,000 watts in my eyes, which is a wild thing, but... My mom is blind. She has the same thing. Uh, what I have is genetic. And uh, I grew up going to these conventions as a kid. But I always went for her. I was out going to Disney World. Uh, you know, peace out. Have fun. Do your, do your thing. I'm going to go play. So it's really awesome to, to kind of circle back around and come back here and be here for myself. But having a blind mom, you know, when you have generational disability, I think it's a very different thing than having... Um, an able-bodied parent with a disabled kid. For me, I got the talk in fifth grade. That's what I like to call it, the talk. And she sat me down, and she said, you have a choice. You can either look at people the way you need to look at them so that you can see them, and that's with my peripheral vision, which means I would look to the right or to the left. And, and I just want to preface this by saying she was doing the best she could with the strategies that she had. So I'm not judging her at all for this. So she said, you can either do what you need to do, look to the left or, li or the right to take in what you need, or you can teach yourself how to look people in the eye. Now know that if you look to the left or to the right, they will treat you differently. That is the world we live in. And so she didn't tell me which way to go. She just presented that choice to me. And as a child, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to survive in this world. I did not want to be different. I wanted to fit in. So I taught myself how to look people in the eye. And I still do. It's part of my muscle memory now. I, it's not even a conscious thing anymore. It's just part of my makeup. So I play both sided and blind characters. And in fact, 95% of the characters I play are sided. And people don't know. It's a trip, right? So, okay, great. First acting class, UC Davis. I failed because I didn't go, because I was too nervous. I was so self-conscious. I was so terrified of myself, of putting myself out there, that I didn't even go. Didn't even attend. Failed out of that class. Okay, five years later. Graduating from UC San Diego. Uh, I got a decent grade point average going, not totally awesome. I was studying psychology and um, 
and I, need, I wanted to raise my grade point average. And my friend was like, hey, take an acting class. And I was like, no, no, I can't. I don't want to do that. That's freaky. And he said, it'll, raise, it'll help you get an easy A. And I was like, done. And I jumped into the class, and it was, it felt so good. It felt so good to step into somebody else's shoes and tell a story and to learn about somebody else by speaking their words. And I loved it. And I got good feedback. And so with my one acting class, I moved to LA, thinking I'd be a star. That didn't work out. Uh, Moved to San Francisco. Decided to get training, because that might help. And right before I went to training, I had my first audition experience. And I went in, and I had never experienced a cold read before. And a cold read is when they give you the sides there. They give you the script there, and you're supposed to read it. And I show up, and I didn't know that. So I spent two hours trying to track down a photocopy machine to enlarge it so I could read it. Found one, enlarged it, went back into the room. It was still so small that I had to press it against my face. And the director, after two hours, the director said, if you can't read the script, you don't belong on stage. And this is one of those moments, this is one of those pivotal moments where the pain was so severe, I could have quit right then and there. But I didn't. I decided to go and get more training. I got to fast forward the story because I did get more training. I went to class after class and I battled with teachers who told me I didn't belong there and I said, I do belong here. And I found other ways of doing things and I, got, I actually got into grad school, American Conservatory Theater, which is one of the best uh, MFA programs in the country and I got into that school and I'm still the only, actually there's only two blind, legally blind actors in the, actresses in the country with an MFA in acting and I'm one of them. And that, yeah, there should be like a hundred of us already, but that's another story. So I go through grad school, and this is where challenge becomes opportunity. Is every time somebody said no, I had to reframe it so that their no's meant a yes to me. It meant, no, I'm not supposed to go through that doorway. I'm actually supposed to go over there. They were just signposts leading me in the direction that I actually needed to go. For example, there was a, uh, and this doesn't have to do with my blindness, but it does have to do with like affirming my own vision for myself. There was a show that I was doing called Master and Margarita, and I was cast in The Angel of Death, and I had no lines. And the director said, I, want, I have long red curly hair. And the director's Eastern European, and he said, I want your long curly hair to be everywhere. And uh, that's all I have to say. And I said, actually, if I'm the angel of death, I should be gender neutral. People shouldn't know if I'm male or female. So, no, I'm going to have a short black wig on, and you won't know. And he's like, fine, okay, whatever you want. And he was saying, There's, you know, I had no lines, so I wasn't being called to rehearsal. So all of a sudden, I just started showing up and putting myself in the scenes. Because I'm like, if I'm the angel of death, I am everywhere at all times. <laughs> so I put myself in the entire show. And the thing was, is that I didn't really understand what I was doing at the time, but the feedback I was getting from people, from the, um, from the teachers, were like, well, you have to fit into the, vi- the director's vision. And I was thinking to myself, but he doesn't have a vision for me, so I have to create a vision for myself. So that was one of those, those moments, because at the end of that show, 
who do you think the character was that people remembered most? The angel of death. Fast forward. Graduate from ACT. Go to New York. Think I'm going to make it big. This is the acting industry. <laughs> it's very difficult for anyone to make it big. Um, it was very hard. Very, very difficult. And I'm not going to dance around that at all. But to get through it, I created my own work. I created my own show. Uh, several. I started writing and directing. And that gave me a lot of not only self-confidence, but I was able to have an outlet to sort of crack open my brain and express the things that were going on in there. Let's just keep fast-forwarding. In New York, creating my own work, not getting any work from other people, having a tough time, have a breakdown, actually. Move back to San Francisco, because that's where I was from, and recover. Create a community there, or I should say, find a community there. And realize that as I start auditioning, I had to learn how to accommodate for myself because I had no mentors. There was no other blind or low vision people I could look to and say, how did you do this? How did you do this? So each audition experience I went into, I had to figure it out, and I did. And each play I was in, I had to figure out how I was going to do certain things, and I did. And I had to learn how to talk to people about it, and I did. And I made a lot of mistakes along the way. You know, sometimes conversations were very difficult and very awkward, but they happened. And I started getting a reputation around Bay Area for being a great actor. That just happened to be legally blind, which is really cool because I don't, I never wanted a reputation of being a great legally blind actor. I want a reputation of being a great actor, right? So one way in which opportunity or challenge was turned into opportunity, this is sort of like every, something like this happens in every play. But there was one show that I was doing, and I'll get to NCIS, I promise, I promise. But there was one show I was doing. I played five different characters because um, I do a lot of trans. I do a lot of like transformational stuff, you know, sort of just changing characters all the time. Um, so I was doing this show where I was playing five different characters, and one of them was a soldier in World War One, and I had four different castmates. And the opening scene of the play, we had to literally launch ourselves over a ten-foot-tall ledge onto the ground as though we were diving into a, uh, what is it called? Um, Thank you, a trench. We were carrying rifles and bayonets and wearing gas masks. The first time I did it, all the guys just jumped right over, and I couldn't. I just couldn't. I had to go very, very slowly because they could see all the footholds. I had to feel my way down. And the director said, do we need to change this? And I said, just give me time. So I took my own time. After every rehearsal, I would go in and I would climb down that trench over and 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 over. I probably did it 200 times. So that by the end of it, or I should say by the end of rehearsal and the beginning of opening, I flew over that trench with the bayonet and I didn't stab anybody. That was a big win. Um, I'm doing well in San Francisco. I'm getting lots of big parts. I'm working in big theaters. Um, I'm having good conversations with theaters. Um, I'm getting theaters to actually start audio describing for the first time. I said, if I'm in a show, you're going to audio describe it because I want my people to be able to come and watch me. Um, I just got the three-minute mark. I know. I'm sad, too. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about NCIS.
That's how this rolls. It was awesome. When I booked NCIS, the first thing that I got was a phone call from the director and the producer. And they were like, so how is this going to work? I'm not sure. We've never worked with your kind before. Um, no, they didn't really. I'm, I, so that's hyperbole, but that's how it felt. So I, have, so I actually wrote, I decided to write a cheat sheet for them of how to work with a, which I'd never done before. I was like, here you go. Here's the language you use. These are the identifiers I like. When you give me direction, I may not look at you, but trust me, I'm listening. And kind of went through this whole sort of step-by-step about how, I, how things are going to work. And unbeknownst to me, that cheat sheet made its way around the entire NCIS production. Plus the next show that I was on. So it actually circulated through CBS. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, I didn't know that because I had jokes all the way through it, too. I was, like, telling the director they should wear feathers because I could see feathers. Um, She didn't do that, though, and that's too bad. One of the things that, that did happen that was so extraordinary with NCIS, and this is why it was such a win, they were committed to authentic representation. And so every moment, every opportunity that I had on there I upheld that. I upheld their commitment and my commitment. For example, when they got the script, I saw the final draft. I met the writer. I was like, Brendan, it's so great to meet you. I have some notes. He was totally open to it. Awesome. First day on set, uh, Mark Harmon. Yeah. Silver Fox. Uh, That's all I'll say. We were in dialogue. How would this actually go down? And everyone was open to those conversations. Um, They changed the condition that they had written for congenital glaucoma. I was like, that's, sighted people are going to not know, but my blind community will know. So you need to change the condition. And so they changed it to my condition. Awesome. And through the dialogue, too, there were moments where Brendan Fahili, who was awesome, and the director gave me some leeway. So I was like, I think... Can I change the language here? They're like, great. Can I change the language here? Great. So it really became this truly authentic piece that I'm so deeply proud of. And NCIS deserves so much of that credit. And I also want to say, because I feel like I'm going over the three minutes now, I did my own stunts in that. Which they weren't going to let me do, but then they met me and they're like, oh, okay, no, she can do it. So I got thrown down on that couch, grabbed, my hair got grabbed, I got thrown down on that couch about 15 times. But all this to say that there is something extraordinary when we choose to have a vision for ourselves that others don't have for us, right? Yes, right. And to go forward into each room and say yes to me, yes, 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 because we're going to hear so many no's that we must say yes to ourselves. We must and our community. I want to leave you with a quote and an intention. Some of you may have already heard this, but Marianne Williamson, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, the question is, who are you not to be? 
So my deepest intention for all of you right now is own your fabulousness. Own your absolute uniqueness. Own your power to be magnificent creators of your own reality and destiny. Thank you so much. That was professional actress Marilee Talkington, recorded in St. Louis on July 2nd, 2018. You're listening to ACB Reports. The annual President's Meeting and Legislative Seminar of the American Council of the Blind will take place from Saturday, February 23rd through Tuesday, February 26th in Alexandria, Virginia. To view the ACB Legislative Imperatives for 2019, visit acb.org slash legislative seminar 2019. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports. ¶¶